Okay, over the the past number of weeks, like some sort of spiritual pied piper, uh, the Apostle Paul has been leading us uh, along a sort of uh, second missionary journey as he seeks to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the Mediterranean world. Now, look where we are. He has taken us and he has led us to the city of Corinth. Now, here's the deal. If we are going to in any way understand what happens in this section of scripture that I read earlier on. There's something that we need to know. We need to appreciate that years after this, years later, when Paul's writing one of his letters, when Paul is writing back to this church in Corinth that he is about to establish here in Acts chapter 18, he tells them something. He writes back to the, the Corinthians and he says... The very first time that he approached the city of Corinth, he did so with fear and trembling. Do you see what that means? That means this morning, in this section of scripture, if we're going to understand this, if we're going to get our heads around it, we need to realize that at this point here, Paul is scared. The apostle Paul is scared. Okay, there could be quite a few reasons why the Apostle Paul's got sort of, you know, this sense of trepidation at this point. It could be, you know, it could be that he's just maybe spiritually fatigued after all that we saw last week. Remember, uh, you know, his sort of debating in Athens. Could be, could be something to do with that. Maybe he's scared. Maybe he's anxious because he's just, you know, not more sort of opposition from his fellow Jews. Maybe he's just anxious about that happening again. Maybe that's part of it. But I think what is most likely is, simply put, Paul is scared here because of the city of Corinth itself. Like, what what we've got to appreciate here is that Corinth, right, this place that we're looking at, thinking about today, Corinth, is world famous, or it was world famous. Do you know why? It was world famous because of sexual perversion. Like, this city that we're going to be thinking about just now, like, it was, you know, big, bustling place, you know center of commerce it was that yeah and it was a sort of center for all nations it was a sort of multi-ethnic place people they were sort of coming and going from corinth all those sorts of things do you know what really most notably though corinth was a center for immorality so do you see what's going on here the apostle paul is scared because he knows that he has to live for and witness to jesus in a place like that. So here's my question for you as we start. Does that not sound familiar? Doesn't it? Like when we, even this morning, even just now, when we consider where we live, when we consider us being Christians in London, come on, with all of its immorality, is there not from a spiritual point of view just a little bit of trepidation about that? Isn't there? Isn't London slightly intimidating, an intimidating place for the Christian to be? Is it not quite difficult for us to live out our faith in a place like this? Well, what I hope we see by the time we leave those doors this morning, by the time we we leave church this morning, what I hope we see is that how in Acts chapter 18 and how for us into a place of fear, into a place of trepidation, what happens? But God acts. Do you know how he acts? He acts to encourage his people. What we're going to see today is the encouragement that God provides his people in an intimidating city. This is about God's encouragement. So if you haven't done 
already. Please have Acts chapter 18 open in front of you. Okay, let's get into this. Acts 18. So we're thinking about God's encouragement. First of all, notice the personal encouragement that we've got here. Personal encouragement. Now, I'm pretty sure that every one of us at some point has met someone new and just instantly clicked with them. You know how that is, don't you? You know, you meet another bloke, you meet another girl, whether it's at work or, you know, in a social setting, and you just, you meet them and instantly there's a bit of a rapport, isn't there? Instantly you just get chat with that person and just, you know, you're on the same page, you know, you're on the same wavelength. Now, we know that feeling. Well, that's what we've got to be thinking about here in Corinth. Now, remember what I'm saying. Paul's coming in the city. He's alone. He's coming in the city. What do we know? He's fearing. He's trembling. Look what happens here. Look what God does to encourage him. God brings to Paul, puts in his path, Aquila and Priscilla. Do you see that? God provides this man with, with friends to encourage him. Now, now like, do this with me. Just think about the similarities. Think about what Paul has got in common with Aquila. You know, we're talking about meeting someone new and we instantly click with them. Well, think about it with Paul and Aquila. They're both Jews in a Gentile city. So instantly there's that bit of a, a, a bond and, and a rapport there, okay? They're both new into the city. You know, they're visitors into Corinth. They are, they've both come from a really sort of crazy situation. Like Paul was kicked out of Berea. Look what we're told about Aquila. Aquila's just been kicked out of Rome. You know? Look at the similarities here. And then just think about the obvious one. The fact that, the fact that, well, wait a minute. They both have the same job. They're both tent makers. Look, do you see what's going on here? Paul is scared and God, to encourage him, he brings him allies. He brings him Priscilla and Aquila, people that are going to become, for Paul, lifelong friends. Ready for my point. Here's my point. Look around you. The truth is that London is an intimidating place for Christians to be. It is. Like, London is a very, very difficult place to live out our faith. But look around you. You are not alone. Do you see what God has done? To encourage you, God has done for you exactly what he has done for the Apostle Paul. And he has provided you with friends. He has provided you in this place with brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you not think right now that that should be a reason to thank God? A reason, surely, to rejoice. There's something else, though. Follow me in this. I've said that <coughs> Aquila and Priscilla, they become uh, Paul's lifelong friends. Now, that's, that's true, that's fine. I think what is more important is to notice the foundation for their friendship. See, what we have to know, like I've, I've just said that Paul, later on, he writes these letters and he writes his epistles. Now, you'll, you'll know this if you know your New Testament well. <coughs> when Paul is writing to a church, that he knows Priscilla and Aquila are going to be. Such is their friendship. 
You know what he does? He says, you know, if they're in Corinth or if they're in Rome, he says to that church when he writes to them, oh, please make sure that you say hi. Please make sure that you pass on my regards to Priscilla and Aquila. Right? He does that. Sometimes, though, Paul qualifies that. Now, listen to what he says in Romans 16. I'll read this to you. Paul says to them, greet Priscilla and Aquila for me. You ready for it? My fellow workers in Christ. Now, do you see what is going on in Acts then? Into this intimidating situation, to encourage Paul, God is not just bringing him friends. To encourage him, Paul in Corinth is being brought partners in the gospel. And so because of that, I want to say this to you as a congregation. One of the great mistakes that we are making as the people of God is not developing the friendships that God has given us in the church. If we really and truly are going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ in a city like London, we have to stop viewing each other simply as acquaintances on a Sunday, you know? As even friends for the weekend. We have to start viewing each other as fellow workers, as partners in the gospel. How do we do that? Well, we have to build up our relationships, not just by seeing a wee bit more of each other during the week, but we have to build up these relationships by, guess what? Praying more together. By talking together more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what? Do you know what's going to happen? If we do that, you know, if we view each other, fellow workers in the Lord Christ, then this city that just now seems seems so foreboding for the Christian, it will cease to become quite so intimidating for the believer. We need to see that, as he did here with Paul, that God has given you and I the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. He's done this for us. Okay, personal encouragement. Secondly, I want you to think about the practical encouragement in Corinth. Okay, practical encouragement. (coughs) Excuse me. Okay, I said a moment ago that I'm guessing you know what it's like to meet someone new and there's an instant report. I guess you also know what it's like to be reunited with a friend that you haven't seen for a long time. You know what that's like, don't you? It's like, if it is a good friend, if it's one of your sort of best friends, even if you haven't seen them for a very, very long, long time, it doesn't matter, does it? You know, if it's one of your good friends, you get back together and it's, it's just, things are exactly as they were before the, the person went away. Isn't that right? I mean, even if it's months, even if it's years, you just, you just sort of start where you left off. You know what that's like. Well, again, we really have to see that that's what is going on in Corinth. Because look at what happens here. Look at verse 5. We are told, at this point, what happens? I've met Paul's fear trembling. Look what happens. Silas and Timothy arrive in the city. Hey, remember what's happened here? Paul left them in Berea. 
Now, I think if you piece the bits and pieces of the New Testament together, what you realize is that, yeah, Silas and Timothy probably visited Paul in Athens. But you see what's happening here? Like, for the first time in a long time, the boys are back together, you know? The gang is back together, and they are back together in Corinth. Now, what we need to notice is the impact that Silas and Timothy's arrival had on Paul's ministry in Corinth. What impact did they have? We need to think about that. First, I want us to think about what what we do after every service. Like, how does the service end in here? Um, I give the benediction, okay? And then we chill out for a moment, waking ourselves up, and then we all sort of meander over to the table and we very politely get ourselves a cup of tea and a coffee, and (coughs) we all ask each other the free church question. You know, we always sort of just ask each other the church question. We drink our tea very politely and we say, so, how's your week been? What have you been doing this week? We ask each other that, and that's fine. But you see, at this point here, if we had asked Paul that in Corinth, if we'd said, Paul, what's your week been like? Do you see what he would have said at this point? He'd have said, well, for six days, I've been mending and fixing tents. But on the seventh day, I've been able to go into the synagogue and been able to tell people about Jesus. Now, it's fine, but look at how this changes when Silas and Timothy arrive. Look what happens here. Look at verse 5. It says that they arrive and everything changes in Paul's ministry now. No more building tents. You do tents. None of that. Look at it. He now devotes himself exclusively to telling people about Jesus. You see, what we can deduce from Philippians chapter 4 is that when Silas and Timothy arrive in Corinth, they arrive with money that they have collected from the Macedonian churches. And this money that they arrive with, that it frees Paul up. He doesn't have to be mending tents. He can now proclaim the good news of the gospel and he can do that exclusively. Now, because of that, I think there's a few things that you and I need to think about as a congregation. Like, think about, firstly, how this would have encouraged Paul. Remember what we're saying? He was lonely. He was fearful. Now look at the guy. Suddenly, he's surrounded by friends, old friends, new friends. More than that, think about what he's just learned. That those churches, man, that he's planted in Philippi and where was it? In Thessalonica and Berea. Do you remember that? He's just learned that they are doing great. I mean, they are doing so well that they are now financially supporting him. Do you see it? I mean, everything's changed for Paul. I mean, Paul's rejoicing here. What encouragement. We also have to think, though, how what we're seeing here should change our approach. Get this to our own financial giving. Now, we, we don't like to talk about this in the church. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of on a roll last week, just a sort of submission. <laughs> I don't like to talk about that. This week, we're in financial giving. But you see, when we think about financial giving in the life of the church, we think about it very practically, don't we? We think about it from a very worldly perspective. Like, why, why do we give when the, the money comes around, when we set up a direct debit? Why are we giving? 
we think about it, we sort of think, well, we're giving to pay for the rent of the building. <laughs> or we're, we're paying to, to make sure the heating bill is paid or something like that. Do you see, though, look at this. Do you see that, the, that it wasn't like that for the Macedonian churches? Like, they were giving out of a gospel desire, weren't they? I mean, they've just been set up as a church and they are giving to see the gospel go out in the Corinth. Go out into new places. It was a gospel desire. Do you see? That's got to be our mindset as Christians. As members of this church. That's what it's got to be like. It's not about lighting. I mean, it isn't about heating. We're given generously. We're given self-sacrificially. Why? Because we want this church hit that intimidating city and hit it with the gospel. Then I think, think about this. It's not just Paul but it's you. It's not just Paul, but it's us that should be encouraged by, by Silas and Timothy coming into Corinth with his money. Do you, see what, do you see why? Do you see what it means? It means that if the Lord God has got a plan, that he is going to provide absolutely everything that's needed to accomplish that plan. You see that? You see how that encourages us? Surely. You know, if God has got a plan to use you in London, if God has got a plan to use us in London, yeah, okay, look, sometimes, sometimes it means life is going to be very, very hard as a Christian in London. It means, yes, financially, okay, things are going to be tight somewhere. But if God has got a plan to use us, then like with Paul, we too are going to have our own Macedonian churches supporting and providing for us. So we see personal encouragement. We see practical encouragement. Thirdly, let's think about promised encouragement that we see here. Promised encouragement. Are you with me so far? Do you see the theme that we're looking at, at least? That we are thinking about how God encourages people when it is intimidating to live as a Christian. He encourages us. Now, we've seen that. We're wrestling with that. What I want you to think about just now, though, is the very, very obvious and very direct way in this portion of Scripture that God provides encouragement. Do you see what that is? What's the obvious encouragement you've got in front of you? We are told that the Lord appears to Paul with the purpose of encouraging him. There is a vision now, we, we have to. I mean, this is an appearance of the Lord to Paul. We have to work out, wait a minute, what is that about? Does this encourage us in any way? So think about, think about the context of the vision. Like I, don't, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> um, I'm not a, a bloke who particularly likes conflict. Okay? Like, I don't mean sort of... Uh, a conflict with myself necessarily. That's not really what I'm talking about. Um, more so, you know, conflict with other people. You know how awkward that can be if you're in a room with people and they're having an argument or, you know, you can tell there's a bit of tension going, I hate that, you know. Like if that's going on in a room, I'm sort of sneaking out of the door very, very quickly. I don't want anything to do with that. I think because of that, I really would not have liked being a part of what's going on in Corinth. You see why? 
Like, we're told, okay, that this money comes in and Paul's freed up to preach the gospel. But he's preaching to the Jews. But look what happens. Look at the response of the Jews here. We're told that they absolutely opposed Paul. I mean, they rejected his preaching about Jesus Christ to the extent, do you see what happens? They reject him so much that he withdraws from the Jews, withdraws from the synagogue, and look what he does. He church plants where? He church plants next door to the synagogue. Do you see the tension? Do you see it? You imagine that on a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. You know, two opposing groups meeting next door to each other. Can you imagine the tension that's going on there? And then it's sort of compounded by the fact, do you see who's converted? Do you see? Crispus, the synagogue ruler, becomes a Christian. Oh, you know, him meeting next door from the synagogue. I mean, it's just, like, it had been looking up. Here's the point. It had been looking up. Like, things had been looking a bit rosier, a bit more encouragement for Paul. Now, all of this opposition... From the Jews, their hatred of him, their hatred of Christ. For Paul is all falling apart again. So we've got the context. But look with me at the content of the vision. You've got all of that misery. You've got all of that tension. Look what happens. The Lord himself appears to Paul. And to encourage this man, look what he says in verse 10. He encourages him, first of all, with his presence. He says, Paul, I know what you're going through, but I, the Lord, am with you. Imagine what that is like to hear. Then he encourages Paul with his protection. He says, it might look like it's all a mess in Corinth, but Paul, no harm. No harm is coming to you. Do you see what that would have been like? Do you see how Paul's heart would have been encouraged by this? The Lord with him, protecting him. No wonder it says that Paul stays on in Corinth for a further 18 months. There's something here that I want you to grab with both hands, people. Because you see the promises that, that Paul is making there, that God is making to Paul. Those promises still stand for you in Christ. Do you see what that means? I mean, that means that today in London, that the Lord promises us his protection. It means that there is nothing that this city, with all of its immorality and with its intimidating nature for the believer, there is absolutely nothing that can happen to you spiritually. That you're protected by Christ. You are safe in Christ. There's nothing that can be done. You see that more than that, that today in London, the Lord promises you his presence. Do you buy that? Do you see what it means? His presence. This wasn't an angel of the Lord. This wasn't a messenger of God that appeared to Paul. This was Jesus. Do you know that things have not changed? Do you know what it means? It means that now as I'm speaking to you, as you're sitting in the seats here just now, you ready for this? Jesus is here. Jesus is here. 
you know what it means? It means tomorrow morning, when you go out into that city, the Lord has promised to be with you. I will be with you. At the very end of the age. Friends, do you see these promises? Do you see what they mean? If we grasp these, then surely we are spurred to go and do what God, what Jesus commanded Paul. What does he say? Paul, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. So we see personal and we see practical and promised encouragement. Last one. Let's consider briefly the powerful encouragement that we see here. Now, when I was a wee boy, very wee boy, about that big, okay? When I was a very wee, cricket-obsessed child, my dad made me a promise. In fact, you know what? In my dad's eyes, I think it was a throwaway statement and nothing more. We were watching the cricket on the TV in the living room, and he said to me, oh, one day, Andy, uh, I'll take you to see the West Indies play cricket, Okay? I was obsessed with the West Indies. And, you know, he meant it as a, a throwaway comment, but I latched onto this. I was like, what? We're going to see the West Indies play cricket. Amazing. Months went by of me pestering my dad. And uh, eventually he said to me, okay, we're going on holiday. And on the way south, we're going to stop in Manchester. And you're right, we are going to see the West Indies play cricket. And I couldn't believe it. And I still remember, you've got a picture of this, the West Indian end of the cricket ground, in amongst all the West, this wee Scottish Ned, you know, in amongst all the West Indians with their trumpets and the steel drums screaming. I remember looking up at my dad, and I remember thinking, I was so glad that he kept his word. You know, that I was so glad that I could trust that he keep his promise. And as we're closing here. For encouragement, we don't just see that the Lord Jesus Christ has has made promises. I want you to see that for Paul's encouragement, for our encouragement, that the Lord Jesus Christ kept his promises in Corinth. You see what happens, don't you, with this end section with Gallio and the Jews? Like these Jews who are hating the gospel and they're hating Paul. They ramp up this opposition to him and they pick him and they haul him before the Roman proconsul, this guy Gallio. I want you to see what's going on. Like in the Roman Empire, only a few religions were permitted. Right? Judaism was permitted. Do you see what the Jews are doing? The Jews are trying to get Gallio to publicly pronounce that, wait a minute, Christianity, what Paul is saying, has nothing to do with our Old Testament religion. See what the Jews are trying to do? They are trying to get Gallio to publicly proclaim in the Roman Empire that Christianity is illegal. Now, when we see how momentous this moment is for the advance of the gospel... Should we not marvel at what God does here? Do you see what he does? In verse 14, look at it. In fact, imagine what it would have been like. Paul is in the dock of a Roman court. Imagine what that would have been like. And the furtherance of the gospel is on the line in the Roman Empire here. 
And Paul has to speak. Can you imagine the nerves, you know? Paul has to speak up in front of Gallio. And he's just about to make his defense. Do you see what happens in verse 14? The Lord acts. And Paul does not even have to open his mouth. That Gallio himself speaks up. And he dismisses this case out of hand. He takes the Jews and he kicks them out of that courtroom. Do you see what's happening? Christ is in control. Do you see that Christ is keeping his promise to protect Paul? Do you see that Christ is protecting his gospel? So I want to say this to you as we close. Yes, London is an intimidating place to be as a Christian. And it is a hard place to live out your faith. But you, my friend, will receive all the encouragement that you need to do that if you simply grasp even the slightest hint of the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, are you worried about how you're going to live for Christ in the workplace? University, are you? Well, I ask you this morning to consider Jesus. To consider that like he was here with, with Galileo, that in London, in this city, that Jesus Christ is high above. He is more powerful than all the rulers in London, and all the governors, and he stands supreme and transcendent over the houses of parliament, man, and, and, and over the houses of lords. He is above all of that. Consider that like with Acts chapter 18, that the Lord Jesus Christ, that he can orchestrate and influence even the lawmaking in this country. That he is more powerful and more mighty than anything and anyone in the whole of this city. You consider that and then consider this. That, that God who laid that life for you, he is people out there that he wants us to witness to. And what has he done? What has he done to make that happen? He's given us each other. That's what he's done. He's made absolutely every practical need that we might have to make that happen. He has promised that tomorrow he's going to go out with us into the city. And we know from this that he is willing to move mountains. He is willing to move rulers, laws. He is willing to move hearts in order to bring people into salvation. Do you see that? Friends, I think when we look at this, and if we gasp the awesome power of Jesus, greater power than anything else in the city, then suddenly something happens, doesn't it? Something clicks, and suddenly we see that London is not an intimidating place for a believer to be. Praise God this morning that he, that the Lord Jesus Christ is all the encouragement that we will ever need. Let's pray.